It says they are buried in the deepest sea. You know where that is? Marina Strange. The deepest sea in the world. Marina Strange. That's deep. They're still trying to get to the bottom of it. Your sins are blotted out, the Bible says. Amen? Amen. 199. 199. Just one page back. Christ receiveth a simple man. at church, bring things you don't want, bring your husband. <laughs> that was not intentional for that to be said that way. Uh, oh, you have another song, that yeah. kind of song, okay. Um, let's see. 
Pray for little David. Mention that with the guys. And then uh, pray for um, the young lady who was made a professional faith yesterday, sixth grader from Kwanalako School. Uh, we met her door knocking, NNI, and um, she was pretty open. And um, you know, I keep debating with myself about making it hard to get saved, or as I was saved by praying for the Lord to save me. But uh, I think in American Christianity, because so many people just say and just pray a prayer, it seems like it doesn't mean anything. And so I think there's been an overreaction to making it difficult to be saved. But it still says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And so um, the girl listened to us talking to her and it was very helpful to be there to take away any fear of this old man talking to a stranger girl sitting on the porch playing with her cat, of all things. And so uh, she just moved over from Seattle with her stepdad has three sisters, so hope to be in touch with them again. And I'm trying to accommodate, but also, I'm also trying to wait for some indication of some reality of their profession. I'd like to see someone contact me and, you know, show some follow-up on their part rather than me always reaching out to them kind of thing. So I hope uh, it was real, and only God knows, of course. So, But it was good to have someone listen. It's been a long time since someone listened to me talk to them, or actually... Anyone who's tried to witness from our church to have someone spend time to listen. Amen. It's been it's been it's been rare. It's been rare. And then uh, I knocked on the door of a Chinese lady and uh, the, the card that Nathan had printed, Chinese on one side, English on the other side. And so she came to her, gave the Chinese one, and I was asking her the question, You look Chinese. <laughs> she says, I am. I said, You speak Chinese? I do. And I said, I said, well, you also speak English. She says, I do a little bit. And I told her where we're from and everything. I said, let me let me, let me, me come back later with my son who speaks Mandarin very well. And I'll have him come back and speak with you. So she's welcome to that. And then after we done knocking on doors, Nathan came by to speak to her. And he was talking with her for about 20 minutes. So that was a good thing. And there's another boy who is from China, a neighboring house. But also he got to talk to this, the parents of the boy. The boy's kind of real cool, you know, you know, seventh grader kind of cool. Like, I know everything kind of cool. But uh, he got to talk to the parents, so that was a good one. That was a blessing there, too. So, yeah. Uh, and you know, the funny thing was about meeting these two people, I was telling myself Saturday night, I don't want to go out. I tell myself, I don't need to go out. This is too hot. I don't want to sweat. <laughs> so, we went anyway, and. Uh, it was a good thing that we did. And then afterwards, we got through early practice and right across from the Kwanamakoa School, there's a tennis court there. Yeah. I have two tennis rackets in my van. And then Sammy Joseph says, Grandpa, you want to play tennis? I said, no, it's too hot. Oh, come on, Grandpa. So we hit the ball back and forth. And they still are horrible tennis players. <laughs> Balling everywhere. But they thought they had fun. All right, I want to hear that next song, you guys. Oh, by the way, before you do that, um, if you're not getting the email bulletins, see her. If you don't say anything, we're going to assume that you're getting your email bulletins. And so I hate to waste money, waste paper, waste ink. So we always have a leftover, a bunch of leftover bulletins. I said, this is a waste of money. And so if you want to get a bulletin, either come email. I do print a few extra for those who are visitors to give them a hard copy because we wouldn't have their email, obviously. So if you want to get a bulletin by email, 
then you just make sure that she gets your email address. Otherwise, if you don't say anything, then you know you lose out. Too bad. Okay, there was a special thing in the bulletin this week that if you contacted us because you saw it, there was a gift for you. But if you didn't contact us because you didn't look at the bulletin, too bad for you. Help me out. Help me out. I thought you said Wait a minute while we argue. Yes. 201 while they argue. Let <laughs> me also say one more thing. It's in the bulletin. Yesterday was Gia's birthday. Gia, raise your hand. And she yeah. is another year older. And then today is Hugh's birthday. Oh, and he's also a year older. Well, let's sing Happy Birthday before we sing the hymn. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. to deliver thee.
September of what? 19. Oh, 19. Oh, that's, that's going to be soon. Oh, really? Well, praise the Lord for answers to prayer. And it's always encouraging to see that happen. I'll give you my text for this morning in just a minute, but I want to read some things or give some things to you to get your attention. But it's been a really hot two weeks as far as where I live in Kanye. Humidity, the stillness, the breeze that comes. It's been really torturous in the house. We do have a attic uh, exhaust fan. We installed it last year, and it's supposed to pull things up in the whole house. It, it does some good, I'm sure, because when we have a balloon, it kind of sucks it up to the ceiling. So it does draw out some hot air up to the ceiling and up through the attic. And so the attic, the hot air is being dispersed going outside the vents. So that's, that's helpful, but it's really been hot. And this reminded me about uh, some recent things that's been going on. Uh, did you see that movie about hell? That recent movie that came out last month, maybe? It was a Christian movie, supposedly. It was shown in Hawaii. I don't know. They advertised heavily. I didn't see it. Anybody saw it? That reminded me to do some research about the movies about hell. Uh, there has been over 26 movies produced about hell. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Over 26 movies going back to the 50s. One movie is about hell... Uh, that won an Academy Award for Best Visual Effects. That would mean that would mean fire and flame and smoke and people suffering. You see, special effects. It won an uh, Academy Award for the special effects. A pediatrician in that story died in a car accident and finds himself in heaven. But shortly after his death, his wife commits suicide and is sent to hell. He makes a mission of his, a mission of his to descend into hell and rescue his wife. I won't give you the titles of the movies because you might go and see them. But that's what that movie's about. This one movie that won the best visual effects Academy Awards. It's his mission to descend into hell and rescue his wife. Here's another movie. Hell is a place, it says, it's a slimy, quivering insides of a gigantic worm. This was their concept of hell. Suicide survivor went to hell and back. There, after, uh, he's back into life. Now he has a mission to redeem himself in God's eyes and earn a place in heaven by demonstrating sufficient goodwill. Hmm. Otherwise, for him, it's back to hell forever. Yeah. These are movies that are produced by professional producers and scriptwriters and all these people, actors. A clerk in the L.A. bank in this movie denied an elderly woman's request to refinance her home. The old woman is so angry, she puts a curse on the clerk and threatens her with an eternity of torture in hellfire. Another movie depicts teenagers investigating a hole in the backyard by a tree removal service. They realize that the hole leads down all the way to hell. These are productions that Hollywood has made. Small productions maybe, sometimes with unknown directors and actors. But these are things on the big screen. And um, all these versions of hell, like myths and folklore, 
have a little bit of truth in them, a little bit, but a whole lot of error and false, false teaching to it. When angry people say, go to, now if you ever have a chance to be up close on a football field, a baseball diamond, and actually listen to baseball players and football players talk among each other and toward the other team, it is pretty foul. It is pretty vile. It is just pretty, pretty bad, the language that they use about each other and toward each other. Uh, go to, you know where. When the environment is hot, people say it's hot as hell. It's funny how people think that hell is hot. It's funny how people think and associate heat, suffering with hell. I've never been through, what's that famous dent dentist? That's like going to hell, dentist. <laughs> I have an appointment this week. Uh, the desert, Mojave Desert. Oh, that's supposed to be really hot through there. Uh, I can imagine going through the Gobi Desert. I can imagine being stuck in a place like that, going for days and days and days without water, or even if he had water, it's just so hot. Uh, people mock hell, they make fun of hell. They say, I'm gonna party in hell with all of my friends, as if that's true. So many movies and so many things that people think about hell is all wrong. They believe what somebody says and they think that's the fact. Uh, there's a town in Michigan, 17 miles from Ann Arbor, Michigan, 17 miles northwest, called Hell. A little town called Hell, Michigan. I'm not sure why they incorporated like that, but that's the name of that town. Now, I want you to know from the book of Matthew, come to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. You know, as a Bible-believing church, that the Lord Jesus Christ himself taught a lot about hell as well as teaching about heaven. In Matthew 25, let me just take one verse. Matthew 25 and verse number 41. The Bible speaks about hell as well as it does about heaven. Look at verse number 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, but Jesus spoke about hell. The Bible talks about hell. In both places, you find that hell is real as well as eternity. And the title of the message today is very simply, Eternity is a long time to be in the wrong place. Eternity is a long time to be in the wrong place. And so after all of these movies being produced and what people think about hell... Uh, they're all very, very wrong about their conception, their understanding of hell. Yet they'll believe what is not really true. They don't bother to see what the Bible says about if hell is a real place. So, first of all, the Bible reveals a real heaven and a real hell. Now, you know John 14, verses 1 through 6. I won't even turn there. But that's the scripture where John says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If one of us would have told, I would have told you, I'd go to prepare a place for you. So, hell is a real place from that scripture and many others. And then from Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, it talks about that great white throne judgment. It talks about hell being cast into the lake of fire. So in both places, heaven and hell, the Lord talks about that. The Bible talks about those places as if they're real places. Now, that's the first thing the Bible reveals to us about this place, hell. And it's not a very pleasant description. And because of that, people want to make hell a mythological place 
They want to make it a metaphorical place. Oh, I can't get that out of my mind. I'm going through hell. Oh, I can't forget what they did to me way back in World War II. I can't, rem I can't forget I am tortured. I'm in hell mentally. They make it metaphorical, uh, self-torture, unforgiveness, the memories that haunt them. They make it all to be like that, that this is going through hell. Sometimes uh, a situation on earth is so horrible, maybe between husband and wife or a family or relatives, and you're going through a bad patch, and people say, I'm going through hell. No, hell is not metaphorical. Hell, used in that sense, is just to describe something that's very horrible. I understand that part, but that is not the real hell that the Bible talks about. It's kind of pathetic and sad that people go through experiences that make them think that I'm going through hell. They're not really going through hell. Hell is a real place according to the Bible. And liberal biblical scholars and theologians, seminaries and Bible schools, a lot of them have felt the pressure to back off from teaching literal hell. Therefore, they come up with notions about hell as if it is just in your mind or it's just the absence of God's presence. That's what hell is like. Hell is not hellfire. It's really not being in the presence of God. That's, that's the torturous part, not being in the presence of God. That's how some would interpret the meaning of hell. Now, truthfully, who would be happy to say that there is a real hell? Um, would any of you here say, I'm really happy that the Bible talks about a literal fiery hell? Nobody's happy to even say that. Uh, I'm not happy to say that there's a real hell. Neither would you be happy to say that there's a real hell. We do believe what it says, but no one's happy to believe and accept the reality that Jesus said there's a real hell. The Bible says there's a real hell. We just, we, we just don't feel happy about that. We don't like it. We're not pleased to say that there's a real hell. However, is it, is it our call to accept or reject what the Bible says because we like or don't like it? I mean, do we have this Oprah Winfrey mentality about things that are not pleasant? Do you believe in a literal hell? Well, that's up to debate. I mean, people who are interviewed by people like Oprah and others, they're so pressured to not say what they know the Bible says because it is very, it is very, um, it's very offensive to them, they believe. They know that the audience will be offended. If you, if you believe in a literal fiery hell, they're offended by that. And so the, the guest is, is kind of pressured to not say what he thinks it says or what he knows it says. So they kind of back off. Um, I heard years ago in the 80s, this is when, oh, some well-known CBS uh, talk show guy was on, uh, Phil Donahue, was interviewing uh, Bob Jones, Bob Jones Jr. And I was watching that thing with interest. And um, the question that was asked was very simple. And you know how he used to always provoke to give an answer, he can come back at you. And I think one of the questions was, is hell a real place? And Bob Jones, Bob Jones Jr., uh, Bob Jones, is it the third? Not, not the, the actor, but the second. I think it was the third. The third given answer was a pretty good answer, but he came across as really harsh and, you know, like, yeah, yeah, that's a real place. You know, it was like that, that as a viewer, I was thinking, why are you happy that there is a place called hell? He was telling the truth, but really nobody's happy about the truth of hell. We don't like to say that hell is a real place. I mean, really, because if the Bible is writing its description of hell, 
It's not a place that anybody wants to go or should go, but that's what the Bible reports. It reveals that it's a real place, but we can't pick and choose cafeteria style uh, if we like it or not. It's not our call. Uh, used to be that reporters really reported who, what, when, where, how things happened. An incident, a news story, they reported just the fact. Now things have turned around so much in the last few decades. Everything is so subjective. Everything is creating a narrative. Everything is to write something according to the reporter's own personal viewpoint about issues. And everything is, it's not reporting anymore. The writers of the Bible, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, did not write things down because they wanted to or because they felt this is, this is great or this is not great. They just wrote things down as God gave them the inspiration to write things down or to speak it. So they had no choice, really, to impose upon the written word their personal feelings in that sense. As a reader of the Bible, we have no right to say, I like that first. I don't like that first. I like John 3.16. I don't like John 3.36. I like, I like about the new heaven, new earth. I don't like Revelation 21, 11 through 15. I don't like that part. That's too mean. That's too harsh. We have no we have no right to choose, pick and choose, like in a cafeteria style of a restaurant. And so uh, people like believing in a real heaven while at the same time rejecting a real hell. You can't have one over the other. You can't pick, you like this one because it's pleasant, it's appealing, it's comforting, it's peaceful, but I don't like this one because it, it makes me nervous. I might go there, so I don't want to. No, no, we can't be thinking like that. Most people do. They pick and choose. Your friends and my friends and people that we know and people who we don't know, people that we rub shoulders with, many of them would like to believe there's a heaven, that they'll go there one day. But they would never like to think that they're going down. They don't want to think that because it is a very unpleasant place. The Bible reveals the real heaven and the real earth. The Bible reveals who hell is made for. Look at Matthew 25 again. The Bible reveals who hell was made for. Matthew 25, verse number 41. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for, prepared for, the devil and his angels. That's who hell was made for. The devil and his angels. God made a place for the devil and his angels to go forever. Now, of course, hell is cast to the lake of fire. That's where the devil is going to ultimately go to. But that's where they go. That's who it was made for. You weren't made to go in hell. You weren't born. You weren't created to go into hell. You go into hell as well, like an intruder. But you got to go somewhere. You can't go in heaven. If you die as a sinner, unsaved sinner with sins uh, on you and in you, you cannot go into God's presence. You remember when the Lord was on the cross and he said, Father, um, Lord, why, why have you forsaken me? That was to indicate what the Lord thought about sin. He couldn't bear to look at his son at that time, at that moment, just to indicate to us, to remind us that if that's what caused the Lord, his father, to turn his face from his son, how in the world would he let someone who has sins all over him be up in God's heaven? So there's got to be another place. And that's just the logic. There's got to be a place where they go to that's not offensive to God. It's not in purgatory. It's not in 
limbo somewhere floating around. The Bible says there's a place called hell that the unsaved go to. And so the Bible describes what hell is like. It reveals the nature of hell. Depart from me, ye cursed into everlasting fire. Well, the nature of hell, uh, it is everlasting. Everlasting. It's not temporary. It's not a place where you can be prayed out of by people living on earth. That is not a possibility. That's simply mythical. It's tradition. It's not real. It's made up. There's a place called heaven. There's a place called hell. And it is eternal. That's the nature of hell. Now, the experience of being in hell is pretty ugly. Turn to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 and drop down to verse number 43. If thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to, be go, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. For the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter halt into life and having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched. It doesn't sound like just the absence of God's presence to me. Verse 46, where the worm dieth not, and the fire, the fire is not quenched. And if thy eye offend thee, pluck it out. It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye, than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Oh boy, what a horrible place, the description of hell. When a man goes there, his soul goes there. Uh, he's going to be existing forever, eternally, in this condition, in fire. And so the experience of hell is compared to burning. It's compared to burning. Now, we live in a generation in which we have such high-part computer graphics, and when you watch movies... Uh, even on TV, even commercials, they're so sophisticated and so powerful, you can make anything that's not real to seem real. Um, I've noticed that in cartoons from Disney and in productions about uh, penguins or anything, water is very realistic, smoke is very realistic, sky is very realistic. Uh, it's just, it looks so real. The colors, even though it's so vibrant, it looks very, it's very real. And when you see fire, you see flames, it looks so real. Explosions look so real. It's not real. And we live in a time in which everything is just so much in your face, through the screen, through the phone, through a, a tablet, through a computer, that when you talk about hellfire, it's like you think, well, it's just like a movie. It's, it's just a production. When they say cut, that scene's gonna be printed. When they say, all right, that's a wrap, the movie's over. And that's how we have in our mind this mentality. It's, it's kind of like that. It's not really real. It's just a production. Can I remind you as Christians that the Bible talks about a place called hell. It reveals its description. It's a place of fire. It's a place of, place of torment. It's a place that no one, no matter who they are, you don't wish them to go because of the, the condition of hell. The Bible reveals that to us. Whatever the movie said, the only thing they got right is that it's a place of fire. It's a place of heat. They got that part right. Everything else is all kind of 
uh, a big, big, uh, big mess of untruth. And so the Bible also reveals the duration of hell. Uh, so far, the Bible does tell us about heaven and hell. It tells us the nature of hell. It tells us who hell is made for. It tells us the duration of hell. How long is hell? It tells us. Matthew 25, 41, once again says, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. Everlasting fire. That's the duration of hell. It's everlasting. Everlasting. It lasts forever. It's never ending. It's eternal. It's forever. That's a long time to be in the wrong place. Now, come to Luke chapter 16. We have to come here. We won't go into every part of it, but come to Luke 16, verse number 22. There are certain things about this account that Jesus gave that just has to be uh, commented on. Luke 16, verse number 22. The duration of hell. We mere mortals, we humans, we who have a morality about us or have a sense of decency about us, we, we just really shy away from thinking that God could ever send anyone to a place like this that is forever. Once again, we don't pick and choose what to believe. This is not a cafeteria Bible. Look at Luke chapter 16, verse number 22. You know the account here, it's about two men, one's a beggar, one's a rich guy. Verse 22. And it came to pass that the beggar died. The beggar died, the poor man died. He probably didn't have any ability to get medical attention. There was not any kind of social service that would give free medical attention. He was so poor, he probably was sick and could not find any medical help. He died and was carried by the angels into Abraham's bosom. That part was not seen by the human eye. You have been given a vision of what happened supernaturally. This is what happened spiritually. No one saw that. Watch verse 22 again. The rich man, the rich man also, he also died. Well, he probably had a medical team. He probably had a, a private physician. He probably, see, he had everything that money could buy, not only for material wealth and enjoyment, but he also had probably a personal doctor. Let me just speculate and say that. And if he did, he still died. The rich man also died. You know what the Bible's emphasizing? A poor man can die and will die. A rich man can die and he did die. When it comes to death, your money does not profit you anything. Money profits not in a day of wrath. Money cannot stop death from knocking on that door and coming in. You may not welcome him. That's called medicine. But the door is going to be open anyway. It's going to be kicked down. Death's going to come in and take its victim. The rich man also died. This is the reason why in the book of 1 Timothy, the Bible talks about, Paul talks about, don't trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. Because only God can keep you alive, and only God will let, money, nobody can. All these celebrities in Hollywood, these rich people in the Northeast Corridor of America, they got it made. They have their homes in the Hamptons, they got this, they got that, uh, Martha's Vineyard. They got everything just right. They got a home here. They got on this coast. They got a home in Europe, in Italy. They got everything just right. And they have all this care. This, this, they're so pampered. They can almost feel that they are immune from death. They can almost feel that whatever they want, they'll get. And usually that's true. And if they get a cough, the doctor right there to attend to them. 
check their eyes out, listen to their heartbeat. They've got someone to take care of them. They almost feel like they are immune from death. But the rich man also died. You gotta remember that. The rich man also died. And he was buried. Both died, both are buried. Look at verse 23 and 24. And in hell, he, the rich man, he lifted up his eyes, being in torments, seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. 24. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water, and cool my tongue, for I am tormented because I'm not in the presence of God. That's not what he said. I am tormented in this flame. Now once again, the truth is reinforced that this man who went to hell is not just absent from the presence of God, he is absent from the presence of God, but he is suffering in the flames of this place called hell. Why is he tormented? Because he is burning. Why is he suffering? Because he is tormented in the flames. I am tormented, verse 24, in this flame. So, if you don't want to believe that, it's up to you. But this is not a cafeteria-style Bible. You accept it for what it says, because he says it no matter how unpleasant it is. I have no call. I have no choice. I cannot pick and choose. I am tormented in this flame. So both men die, the rich and the poor, and the rich man has a soul. He is alive. He has feelings. He has senses. He can feel pain. He is begging for a drop of water. Look at the next verse, verse number 25. But Abraham said, after the man has said, I am tormented, verse 25, Abraham answers and says, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime received thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed, so that they which would pass from hence to you cannot. That's the very important word in verse number 26. As a matter of fact, in this whole short passage, the most important word to me is that word cannot. They which would pass from hence to you in hell, those who are in Abraham's bosom, those who are in comfort, like the beggar, if they even want to help you, if they even had compassion on you, if they wanted to lend you a hand, if they wanted to give you some water, they which would pass from hence to you cannot, neither can they pass to us, they would come from thence. Even if they wanted to be a blessing, be a help, to give you some relief, you cannot, get, it is hopeless. What we find here in this short passage of scripture is there is no relief in hell. And in verse 26, nobody can help. There is no exit from hell. You cannot pass from hence. You cannot pass from here. They cannot come from there to you. You cannot go from, you cannot go from here to there. You're stuck. You are there for how long? That's pretty sad. There's no hope for this man. There's no exit for him. There's no relief. Even if they wanted to help, they could not. Now listen, remember these movies I referred to at the beginning, how this guy is going to go down to hell to rescue his wife who tried to commit suicide, and she's in hell because of suicide. By the way, 
Suicide does not take you to hell. You forfeit your life. Any possibility of living for the Lord, you forfeit that if you commit suicide. But you don't go to hell because you committed suicide or tried to. That's a church tradition of the Catholic Church. That's not in the Bible. So this man who is in hell, we have been revealed that it is a long, long time and it is hopeless. The movies are all wrong about going and coming. It's all wrong. How many millions of people believe the movies? We believe what we see on the big screen. We believe what we see on the computer, on the tablet, on the phone. We believe it as if it's real. Usually, if it's a, 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 a regular person's video of a bear attacking an antelope, that's real. That's real. That's pretty awful, pretty interesting though. It's, it's captivating to see a bear run for half a mile, chase down a, a reindeer or some animal and get it at the big thing running like that. I mean, can you imagine the heart rate and the heartbeat of this animal? And he gets it and he tears it apart. It's kind of fascinating in a strange way. That's real, but productions that are crafted and scripted and produced to get you to think a certain thing, not real. Here's what is real. It reveals, the Bible reveals the hopelessness of hell, the duration of hell. You remember this black, because she is black, this lesbian, because she is a lesbian basketball player, professional basketball player who is in Russia right now. She had a trial because she had some big stuff or illegal things in her, in her luggage. And she has sent this for nine years. Yeah. Now, the reason why I said black and lesbian because it's relevant to the case because there's a lot of sympathy for her because of that those factors. Here's how long her incarceration will be. 3,285 days. Now, you think about it like that's a long time. There's another man who was incarcerated for murder, but he was found to be innocent by DNA after a long time, after 25 years. In prison for murder, but DNA proved otherwise. He was incarcerated for 9,125 days. You think about a life sentence, you think about a term in the number of days rather than years, you begin to realize how long it is. 9,125 days. That's a long time to be in jail when you're not guilty of the crime as you are charged. That's a long time. He said when he got out, he said, it felt like an eternity. One correction I would say to him, though it felt like an eternity, that was not an eternity. An eternity is the rich man who died in Luke 16. Do you know that after 2,000 years, he is still there? Here's how many days. 730,000 days. 730,000 days. He is still there in hell. That's a long time. But that's up to just this century. It's not still eternity. Multiple of that by how many it is still going to be for him there. Not going to change. The duration of hell is forever. That's a long time, ladies and gentlemen. To be in the wrong place. This is why going to hell is not a fun thing. It's not a play thing. It's not something for people to make fun of. I would never say to somebody, oh, go to, uh, you go to. I would never say that to somebody. I would never wish on anybody. Well, maybe some people deserve it. We think in our minds, don't we? There are 
Lessons to learn from watching old westerns. You know what the lessons are in watching old westerns? The old gun smoke, the old bonanza, the old whatevers. Uh, when I go to my mother-in-law's, we get to watch a lot of old westerns. She loves to watch the old westerns. What else does she do but, but watch old westerns? Anyway, I begin to realize that there's black and white. There's good guy, bad guy. Bad guys need to be incarcerated. Bad guys, some of them need to be hung because of what the crimes they have done. There are so many stories, and I know that they are reflective of what the real West was like. Sometimes it's embellished, but generally I would say, if you cannot handle a 45 caliber six shooter, you better not go West if you're from the East, because you need that. That's your law. That gun is your law. That gun will protect you from wildlife, it'll protect you from bad people who are wild, acting like wild animals. And to see some of the things that these people do to other innocent settlers and pioneers is just incredibly cruel. Um, to burn down a doctor's home because he treated somebody that shot this guy's son and he had still to go to trial. He believed he did it with Nathan, so he's gonna, he's gonna go after the doctor and burn down his house with all of his medical equipment because he's so angry at this guy who killed his son. Well, that's just plain cruel. People like that, maybe we would say deserve to be punished eternally. I don't know, but I'm just saying they deserve to be punished in this lifetime for sure. There's people that do all kinds of crimes this lifetime, they need to be punished. Whether you agree or not, people need to be punished for their crimes. Now, oh, what about if they become a Christian? Okay, if they become a Christian, God has forgiven them, but they're still committing crimes against people, against somebody. And so you break the law, you do the crime, you do the time, is what the saying goes, and that's really true. You cannot just forgive somebody uh, when they have broken the law. You can forgive them first if you want to. That's all right, I suppose. But if they did the crime, they must face the penalty, the consequence of doing the crime. And the penalty for sin against God, not receiving his son, you have to live somewhere forever. And that's not in heaven. And so you go to the devil's home, you go to hell. What shall a prophet of man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Not a good deal. Not a good swap. Have everything in this life and ignore and bypass Jesus Christ because this life is more important than anything else to you. You realize how, how wicked this world is and how wicked the entertainment industry is and the sports industry is? They make young people think, they make everyone think that having that big contract, having this ability to do all these sports achievements is the most important thing because of the contract factor. And if you get the contract, even if you have a short career, you're set for life financially. They make everything now in this lifetime. There's a baseball player named Bobby Bonilla. He used to play for the New York Mets. I don't know much about him, except that there's a Bobby Bonilla day in which he, he agreed to a certain contract when he was playing. He's long been retired. He's gonna get millions of dollars every year because of the contract he agreed to way back then. He took a small amount, realizing that when this thing comes to whatever it's called, he's gonna get millions of dollars every year, not even playing baseball. Now, I don't know his personal life, I'm not talking about that. I'm just saying, this is the kind of stuff that people go after in this lifetime. It's all about now. And they forget about other things that maybe are more important to them and should be, but they just, no, everything is now. Everything is now. 
What shall a profit man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? I would hate to think, and I would like to think actually, that there are a lot of athletes who are Christians, maybe secretly, okay. But uh, if they have received Christ as Savior, they're going to go to heaven one day. But will they have the ability to have earned all the rewards that were for them? Had they lived for Christ? Don't know. I just could see from the outside from a distance as a stranger. But I know one thing, people who gave up everything uh, because they felt compelled to, because the Lord called them to in, into the ministry and so on, then uh, they forfeit a lot of things to gain a everlasting reward. And so they saw the long view. They saw the duration of heaven. They saw the eternity of heaven. They saw all that is up there beyond this lifetime. And they chose, they opted out of everything that they could have here for that there, for God's riches instead. And I'm not saying it's either or. I'm just saying uh, for a person to sacrifice that for here is a foolish man. I always have to say when I talk this way, you have to take care of your different needs of your family right now, which includes money. However, uh, you, you, cannot, you cannot forfeit the long view for the, the temporal view. You cannot sacrifice that. Now, what should a person do then if he has a little bit of conviction that there's a real place called hell because the Bible reveals it? What should a man do because he knows the duration of hell is very long? What should a man do if he actually believes this? Well, Isaiah 55 says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. My suggestion, my advice would be, all right, if you have some concern about your soul going to hell, maybe not you here that I'm talking to, but maybe elsewhere, then you better turn to the only place you need to turn to. Turn to the Word of God and know what the Bible says. The Bible says the Lord is reaching out like this, wanting to save Isaiah says, Seek ye the Lord while he may be found, implying there might come a time in which he cannot be found, or he won't be found, or you will not seek him at some point in life because you're so, you're so influenced by this world that you won't seek him, and he may not be found. I would say this, do you know, I, I believe that the Lord loves people and he wants people to be saved. That's the express reason why he came when it comes to what's important to man. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. So he wants to save, but is it possible for the Lord to say, you know what, I'm done trying to reach you. I'm done trying to get your attention. I'm done trying to get you to come to my son. Is it possible for the Lord to stop striving with a man and leaving him alone to his own devices? Uh, that's possible. A man can come to a place in life where he's so content with what he has and what he's after, God means nothing to him. Salvation means nothing to him. Heaven, not even heaven means anything to him. Not even hell scares him. Nothing scares him because he's been so jaded by Hollywood and everything else and nothing scares him anymore. He really doesn't want God in his life. And so it's very possible he cannot be found. But it's also possible the Lord's gonna, you know, I, I kind of not sure about what I'm saying on that part because I, I, I would look at the Bible and say, I, I see a lot more about him doing that instead but who's to say that the offer will always be there one thing for sure is when a man dies that offer is gone that offer is gone seek ye the Lord while he may be found call ye upon him while he is near is it possible the Lord to not be near to people sometime 
-hmm. Will he abandon a man sometimes? Mm -hmm. So you got to be real careful about that because we cannot presume that God is always going to be there to, to hear my prayer, our prayers when we call upon him. Now, God's not a man, I know. And he would not respond like maybe I would respond to someone who keeps spurning and rejecting God's gift of salvation. But maybe that God, God's more gracious than I am. Maybe he's more long-suffering than I am. But he does say that. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Maybe that implies that sometimes he's going to draw back from you and not be so close to you. Maybe he won't hear you. It's a risk. It's a risk. It's not worth the risk, is it? It's a horrible condition to live for eternity in the wrong place. There's a lot more to be said about it, but my point is to just emphasize the duration of hell and the condition of hell and how people need to turn to Christ before they are not able to turn to Christ. Nowadays in modern medicine, you go to the hospital, ER, they will drug you out. They will, to relieve you of pain, you may not be able to think rationally. You may not be able to seek the Lord because of the the medications you're under. Best thing to do is to seek Him while you're rational in your mind and seek Him while you're able to think and while you're able to choose and not wait to the very last minute. So you wild oats, live like the devil until you're on your deathbed in the hospital at Queens, at Polymome, Tripler, whatever hospital you go to, wait until that time you got a couple of days to live, then you pray, ask God to forgive you. I don't know about that, but then I'm not God. I just know you seek him while he's able to be found. That's what people ought to do. There's an escape. There's an escape door. There's an escape hatch. As a matter of fact, you don't even get to the hatch. You, 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 you escape being even in the place of hell by being saved. Understand that. The next time you try to give out a track, you pray and hope to God he give a chance to witness to people so that if you ever could explain to them the need for them to get saved, that's what they need to understand. Do not go through your life with no concern about eternity, being a long, being a long time, being in the wrong place. There's got to be opportunities that God gives us throughout our lifetime. There's got to be a starting point somewhere. There's got to be a natural opening for us to try to witness to people. Only because the terror of hell. I got saved because I was afraid of going to hell. I didn't know if there was a hell. I was hoping there was a heaven. But I was afraid if I died as a teenager, I'd go to hell. I knew I was a sinner. I knew... Instinctly, I had to pay for my sins somewhere, somehow. I knew I had to live somewhere forever, instinctly. But I didn't know, and so because of the fear of going to hell, it, it caused me to search. My search began in 68 for a couple of years until I could see in because I wanted to avoid going to hell. I didn't even know about the Bible. I didn't know about hell, but I was afraid that there might be one. And so when that man from Tennessee explained to me the gospel, he, he led me in a prayer. I prayed after him. I prayed the sinner's prayer. <laughs> And I got saved. You know why? The Lord knew my heart. It wasn't hard for me to get saved. It was easy. And I'm glad that it was easy. Now, if the man said, okay, you got to do 100 push-ups a day, I would have done it. 
If he had said, swim from here to California, I would say, I can't, but I'll do my best. If he had said, give 90% of your income, if I ever had one, to a church, I would have done that. I would have done anything he would have said to do if he had a Bible verse to, to say to me about that. But thankfully, he just says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. You, Cam, can be saved. And so I called upon the Lord. I reached out for him. He was there reading for me, and he saved me. He made it real simple. I'm glad he did. So since 1970, that summer, I got saved, still saved, have eternal life, no fear of hell. Long time that fear is gone. And when I went to sleep, the first few nights after I got saved, I had no fear of dying in my sleep. That was my problem. I was afraid of dying in my sleep. I had a bad dream, I'm done for. I thought whoever God was, he'd hold the last thought I had against me. Whatever good I did, he would not have overcome those bad thoughts in my dreams or the bad deeds that I had done. It would not have overcome, the scale would have not tipped in my favor. Condemned, boy. That's what I thought. But when he explained the gospel to me, how it could be saved, I said, well, what do I have to do to get saved? I almost was quoting a Bible verse without even knowing it. What must I do to be saved? And then he saved me. And uh, boy, it was a it was a good day. And I did what I should have done to not go to hell. I asked God to save me. And he did. If people would find any kind of relief or peace about dying, it would have to come because they have received Christ. Because when they receive Christ, they have no possibility of going to hell. That's what people need. So... Take every opportunity you have. Practice witnessing the people in your mind. And then when you actually do it, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Just go ahead and give it a shot. You never can tell. God will bless his word. And you might be able to lead somebody to Christ. You never can tell. But for sure, if you never try, you never will. Don't depend on someone else to do it. You do your responsibility. All right. Eternity is a long time to be in the wrong place. On the other hand, eternity is a blessing if you go to the right place. Amen. That's how it all plays out. Father, we pray that you help us to be conscious of the lost condition of man. Help us, Father, to take advantage of opportunities, open doors. We pray that you cause us to be grateful for our eternal destination and we're grateful that the, all the hell that we know is going to be in this earth all the suffering we know is going to be in this earth it'll all be over but for the unsaved all the suffering in this world is nothing compared to the hell that they will face Lord we get really hard hearted about this truth we're so familiar with it. It's not a new doctrine to us. It's common to us. It's even commonplace to us. Sometimes it doesn't make us feel anything. We're almost numb to the word hell. It's, it's like we don't even care sometimes. It doesn't bother us. But Lord, I pray that it would bother us so that we do something about it. For people who are shy, for people who 
have tried and have failed or tried and given up, help them to try again. Pray that you help us, Lord. Do not think of this as just something that the pastor should do or somebody else should do, but make it a personal responsibility for all of us to do. We won't win everybody to Christ, but for sure we won't win anybody if we don't try. So Lord, we pray that we can at least help one person more, one more person to not go to hell. Just one more. If we can, we can rescue one person, that would be a blessing. Just one more. So that they don't spend an eternity in the wrong place. Help us, Lord, we pray in this matter. In Jesus' name, amen.